Thank you for listening to Women in Sports. This show is all about advancing the narrative for women in the sports industry. I'm one of the hosts, Erin Sinnott. And I'm Ashton Pills. This is a Rising Coaches-sponsored show that gives women in the sports industry the opportunity to tell their stories and talk about their experiences. Glad to have you listening along. Stay tuned. Women in Sports is brought to you by Rising Coaches. Rising Coaches is the biggest coaching tree in all of basketball. We have over 1,200 members of coaches who, from the high school all the way up to the professional level. Uh, and there's three things that we focus on. Community, relationships, and development. There's no straight line in this business. There's only ups and downs and peaks and valleys. And when you're going through them, it is crucial that you have a support system and a community who has been through the fires themselves that you can lean on and help you through those tough times. Genuine relationships. We put the premium on genuine, uh, not just exchanging phone numbers and speaking one time a year at the Final Four, uh, but rather creating relationships that will last a lifetime and help you both personally and professionally. And finally, and most importantly, development. We are constantly providing resources to our members so that they can work on their craft and add tools to their toolbox. The premise is this. If you sign up and become a member for Rising Coaches for just $120 a year, the relationships and the network will take care of themselves organically so that you can focus on working on your craft and better serving the people that you come in contact every single day as a coach. For more information, visit risingcoaches.com and sign up for a membership today. All right, guys. Well, let's go ahead and get started. Um, I appreciate everyone being here and, and tuning in. My name's Adam Gordon, and I'm the co-founder of Rising Coaches and uh, super excited about today's show. As always, uh, Ashton and Aaron have done a great job of, of bringing in some great guests and and talking about some poignant topics, which today's conversation is super important. But uh, before I hand it over to them, we, we just always like to talk about, you know, why why we started Rising Coaches and what we're about. And we talk about three things, we're community, relationships, and development. And so we try to, you know, we, we started this thing just as a way to, to build a community so that coaches could get together and have like real conversations about, you know, the profession and the sport that we love and coaching without having to worry about like the politics and all the, you know, BS that goes into the coaching profession, uh, just where we could connect and just like actually talk, um, and meet people and form genuine relationships. And because, you know, we coached on, I coached on the men's side, it took off, you know, and, and grew pretty, pretty rapidly there. Um, and when I got out of coaching last year and went full time, like the big priority for me was to, to make sure that we built a similar community uh, built on, you know, genuine, real relationships on the women's side. And so, you know, I'm super excited to have Ashton and Aaron, um, you know, putting the show together on a weekly basis and, and putting in so much hard work on it. And also behind the scenes, Shannon Mathis, who I don't even know if Shannon's on here yet, but Shannon put together our, our new intro, which is awesome. So, um, Anyways, big shout out to those three for all the hard work they do and appreciate you guys being on. Appreciate our guests being here. And I'm going to mute my mic and shut up and let Ashton roll the roll our new big time intro. All right. Yeah, this is going to get us pumped up for today's special conversation. Here we go.
frozen if you stay focused i'm not folding i'll upset you because i'm just too dangerous i'm dangerous let's be honest ain't no contest take those comments for my concept from the get-go i just get so dangerous so dangerous yeah two equal sides no equal ties yo i all right. I think that was awesome. What do you think, Erin? <laughs> yes. Yeah, that is so cool. It makes me want to, like, play. I can't play anymore. But I'm ready to go run it. I know. Play. I have a basketball under my desk, so I was like, whoa, I should probably, like, grab it. <laughs> but, yeah, definitely. Also, fun fact, Ashton and I met t- today for the first time in person, which is super awesome. exciting news. I picked her up from the airport in Denver, so... We just, we wanted to let our viewers know that we have officially met each other. (laughs) We have grown into this beautiful partnership of women in sports. I think it's really awesome that me and Aaron got to spend about an hour together and just kind of talk about the future of women in sport. We're both really energetic and passionate people. And I just think it's a great partnership and I'm, I'm glad that we got to meet today. Definitely, definitely excited to talk about, um, our topics for tonight. Um, do you want me to go ahead and introduce Patty? Awesome. All right. Patty's really cool, you guys. So coach Patty Medina founded Hooper Mentality after witnessing firsthand the needs of youth from basketball programs in the inner city areas of San Diego and Orange County. She has been coaching at many different levels for 16 years. And throughout those years, she has seen what depression, anxiety, and mental health issues can do to athletes and coaches. Um, she personally suffered from depression and has to, um, has had to attend the funerals of former student athletes that have fallen to depression, drug addiction, or suicide. She also watched the athletes finish their basketball careers and fall into depression because they were not adequately prepared for this workforce. So basically Hooper mentality provides athletes from elementary school to college to properly resource them to deal with mental health issues and to help diminish the stigma surrounding mental health issues in the minority community. Along with the mental health related assistance, Hooper Mentality will provide resources for athletes in areas of life skills and business skills. Um, They discuss topics such as money management, business startup, resume building, interview skills, and many more necessary areas of expertise that the educational system fails to emphasize. Coach Medina aims to make Hooper Mentality a safe haven for all athletes and to share their testimonies and find the necessary resources for whatever circumstances they're facing. We're extremely honored to have Patty Medina on our show tonight, as well as thankful for her work and her work that she does with athletes and mental health. Yeah. Thank you for the intro. (laughs) Of course, of course. Super excited. And our other guest is Julie Fournier, who is the current CEO and founder of Basketball is Psychology. Um, Not only is Julie the founder and CEO of Ball is Psych, she's also a current student athlete at Colorado Christian. She not only has an elite mindset on the court, but she has developed an extremely um, sound mindset off the court. She's using her platform to change the narrative of the mental aspects of the game. Julie saw a need for this in the basketball community and decided to use her resources to create an empowering brand that has helped many people since she first started. Um, Julie teaches us that her mind um, and our mind must be the greatest strength to reach your full potential. Basketball is psychology has grown to have over 28,000 subscribers all over the world in all different countries. 
Every Monday, regardless of her duties as a student athlete, Julie sends out an incredible blog with details on how to strengthen your mind. Um, Julie is a true example of a servant leader and is using her voice of basketball for, for all around her. She's a good friend, so I'm really excited to have you on. For having me. Yes. Awesome. And then also, Ashton, I forgot to introduce myself, but my name's Aaron Sinnott. Um, I, Chicago, played basketball at the University of Evansville for two years, transferred to a Division II school in Buffalo, New York. Joined um, a year ago, I think today, a year ago today. I then worked for a ministry over this after that ended um, my internship assistantship at Southern Illinois, rising coaches and finishing um, my master's degree. Moved to Denver, Colorado. So, yeah, no really aligns with my passion. I couldn't think of a Ashton, I'm Ashton Pill. Just quick uh, run through my journey. College athlete at the NAI level, um, was working the camp circuit and got an opportunity to continue to pursue my dream of being, and being a student athlete. So I'm really fortunate. My sophomore year up and I have two more years left. So I'm really excited uh, during different Zoom sessions like this one, because I think we can learn a lot from this experience. So I'm really excited. My time, we're really just trying to give our story and kind of give us tools that we can question is for both of you and we just how do you start your day what are some before you get out of bed like what are you to do to really create that elite um i I'll, i guess i can go first um struggled with with quarantine is um first few weeks of quarantine i was very waking up early and doing my prayer and then once we got out of quarantine. There's days where 2 p.m. or I'll I'll wake up or whatnot. And so I think I've I've learned to just be more forgiving with myself. You know, there's that. And so um, I've learned where I'm not productive. And there's days when again, I just want to scroll through Instagram. And there's days where I do wake up early. And um, that's one of the become a little difficult as far as like to really learn how to you know, come become your own outside of work. And so um, I can on it just a day by day thing. But one thing that I do keep and I try to sustain is my prayer life and, um, you know, listening to to gospel and making sure that um, the things in mind are are empowering. Thing I do when I wake up, I don't. Um, and I had a mentor tell me, you talk to on your phone, they deserve the best you. So instead of waking up and talking to people, Take that time is I get my coffee. I'm not going to be, and I read my devotional walk in love uh, every day by Brate devotional. So that's how I really good. Um, and then just kind of to out your amazing cause that <coughs> founding, it really made you realize mental health and the impact. I know um, something that really resonated with me, not having like the blanket statements of like people with mental health issues, but everyone has mental health. Right. Um, and so how do you use like that and like the impact that you've had to help create something? Um, um, well, there were two things that went, this one was, um, I've had in the 16 years that I've coached, I've had four, um, I've attended, you know, I, I was a ninth coach when I had a middle school player. And so I was 19 and I had a player that was 12, you know, and so, um, the time being 19, like I didn't feel they're all dealing with it, you know, like I never had sat down with a, you know, how are you dealing with this? How are you coping? We, we didn't discuss coping skills. And so, um, after the last former player committed suicide, I had a conversation with her mom, you know, and the only thing I found myself doing was apologizing. Like I kept apologizing. I said, you know, I'm sorry. Like I, I 
could I should have been more help. I should have been someone she could reach out to. And so I kept apologizing for all that could have, should have, would have. And uh, one thing she told me and that it literally like just flipped my switch was like, you can't bring her back. No matter how many times you apologize, you can't bring her back. She's like, the only thing we can do is help prevent from this happening again. And so that's when for me, it was like, okay, I want to do something about this. Like, what can we do? What can we do? And I, it wouldn't come to me. And so um, I got this notification that Nike was going to hold this uh, conference called Women in the Game. And uh, it was their first year run, you know, having it. Then they had it in Washington, D.C. area. But it's called Women in the Game. And it all it is is women empowerment. So you, we went to this conference. And I had a former player. Um, I have a former player, JP, who um, played for me at the junior college level, then played D1 basketball, went to uh, Western Illinois, played at D1 basketball, graduated. And she calls me and she's like, I graduated two months ago. I'm unemployed. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm going into depression. Like I need help. And so again, as coaches, you know, and as parents, we tend to take on our, our athletes struggles very heavily. And so, um, I felt like I didn't do her, like I did her a disservice because if you're not prepared when you graduate from college, then I didn't do my job as a coach. And so I said, you know what, JP, come with me to this conference. Um, I'll pay it, you know, let's go. And so we drive up to LA, we go to this conference and it was probably the best conference I've been to. It was like 40 bucks. It was a whole day thing. Um, and it was all women. And so what it was, was, um, they had different women from different areas of sports. And so when you think a career in sports, you think a, a career as a coach or an athletic trainer, but at this conference, they had, um, the lady that worked ticket sales for the Clippers. Then they had the president who was the president then, um, of the LA Sparks. They had her, then coach Corey Close was there. Then, uh, you had other people that were there and it was just one of those things where for me, I'm like, this is amazing. This is great resource. This is something that, you know, I've wanted to do and, and something that I'm not familiar with. And so JP sitting in the conference with me and she was like, this is great information coach. Like, you know, sorry, my thing switched. Um, and so she was like, I didn't know there were this many careers for sports. And so one of the ones that stood out to me was there was this lady um, actually not lady, but coach Corey Close, who's a, a friend of mine, uh, coach at UCLA, she was one of the speakers. And so, you know, I asked her one of my questions that I posed was how do you prepare your athletes, you know, for after college, you know, because I, here I am with one of my former players and I felt like I didn't do her uh, enough justice. And she said, you know what, we have resources on campus. We have a mental skills coach. We have this. And so she started listing all the resources that a D1 has. And I just thought, what, like, wow, that's amazing. Like, mind you, I come from NAIA. I coached at the NAI level. I didn't have athletic trainer. I hardly had a gym half the time I was a coach. And so for me, like hearing that some athletic programs, each sport at UCLA, each sport has their own mental skills coach. So you have a mental skills coach that goes and sits with your team and solely your team and talks about a lot of these issues. And so I, you know, I was like, JP, let's go get some food after this and, and let's talk. So we sat down and we talked and I said, what if we do something like that, but we extend it and bring it at the age group that needs it the most, which is the 12 and 13 year olds, you know, the kids that are going from elementary school to middle school, 
that need these resources the most. And so that same day, this was um, April of not last year, but the year before that same day, um, I bought the domain name. I literally got the website going, like all, you know, all these things. And I was like, this is what I want to do. But at the time, I still wanted to coach. Like I still wanted to be a head coach. I was still pursuing my title as a head coach. And so I ended up getting a job um, as a head coach at a, at a program that I started from scratch and it just took everything out of me. And so I didn't invest any time into the nonprofit. And then, you know, fast forward, um, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that on a later question, but um, that's literally how it started. Like it was, I went and I was able to listen. Like, I mean, these conversations could trigger something in anyone's mind and be like, oh, wow, I can do that too. Or, you know what? Oh, how about I do this program? And so going to that conference, Women in the Game, and I know they were supposed to do it this year in Philadelphia and in LA, but obviously it got postponed, but it was one of the best conferences that I've been to. And they literally did not go over any plays. They didn't go over any coaching philosophies. It was literally like how to be a woman in leadership positions and how to be a woman in the sports industry. And so for me, that's something that, you know, I wanted to make sure that I provided for my athletes. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's literally incredible. I think it's something just from like my experience as well, that being in the real world for a year, it's, it's extremely important. And, and if you don't have that guidance and that help, it, it can be, it can pre be pretty lonely, like, like what you said. So that's amazing. Yeah, no. And I mean, it, and it's one of those things where it's like, you want as coaches, you know, we want to be able to be that person that these players reach out to even after they, they're done playing for us. You know, JP reached out to me and she hadn't played for me for probably four years, you know? And so I just thought, well, what if I what hadn't been an option for her to reach out to, you know? So we have to be more adamant about keeping those relationships and just tapping in with our players like that have played for us years ago. Like, Hey, just checking in, you crossed my mind. You know, I'm a big believer that no one is really implanted in your mind out the blue. Like if you wake up one morning and you wake up with somebody in your heart, like for me, that's like, okay, I got to text this person. You know, uh, just recently there was a girl on Twitter um, of a coach who I saw all the postings of like, you know, the, the interim coaches were relieved of their services and this, this and that. And like, I read her, her, her tweets. And then the next day I woke up and I had her on my mind and I was like, you know what, I'm going to reach out. I don't even know this coach, but I'm going to reach out and I'm going to tell her like, Hey, I've been in your position and you got, you have to trust God and you have to trust the, you know, that the, there's a plan. And she said, you know what? She was like, no one has reached out to like, you know, actually tell me that that has been in that position. And so for me, I think everything we go through at some point is because we want to be able to help someone else that's going through it, you know? Definitely. Definitely. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that it's just a barrier in itself to have your student athletes feel comfortable enough to go to your coaches and, you know, have that conversation. But once you do, it's like that connection is forever. So I, I agree with that. Julie, just kind of flipping it over to you, how as a student athlete did you come to realize the importance of mental health? Yeah, that's a great question. So several teammates just transfer and just like go home out of the blue. And I'm like, what's going on? And they're like, I'm just depressed and I'm completely miserable. And I've had the chance to play at the division one level, JUCO. So, and that was everywhere. Um, so I was like, 
so caught off guard by this because I'm like, well, we're playing division one basketball. Like, why are you depressed? And it's like, everyone's going through something. And just because you're an athlete, just because you're a successful athlete doesn't mean you're immune to it. I mean, I had a teammate whose fiance got cancer and passed away. And I remember going into my coach's office and I was like, what do I say? Um, And she was my roommate at the time. So I'm like, I I don't know what to say to this girl. And um, now here at CCU, I had a professor say, people need your presence more than they need your profundity. So while I was getting caught up in, oh, what advice do I give them? What do I say? What they really need is someone to be there for them, just a shoulder to cry on. Um, So like I was all getting caught up in what advice I give them. But I've realized, you know, what people need when they're going through that and what I've seen in my teammates is they just need someone there for them. They just need someone who will listen with big ears and all the time in the world. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a really, really good point. Just kind of adding on to that, how do you strive to continue those conversations about mental health? You know, you've you've worked on that the past few years with different teammates, you know, how are you continuously like every day trying to break those barriers? Cause it's a tough subject to talk about. Yeah, that's a good question. So I think in the sports world, people see tears as weakness and not showing emotions as strength. And so athletes have been told from day one, suck it up, toughen up. And that might work during a game, but it's dangerous to carry that message off the court because then we never learn how to hold the weight of our emotions. So we're telling athletes, it's not okay to not be okay when really what they need to hear is it is okay to not be okay. Because if anything, the sports world is so pressurized that athletes are much more prone to those mental illnesses. And so I think we just need to talk about it more because the more we talk about it, the more we talk about getting counseling and seeing a sports psychologist, we take away power from the stigma. (laughs) I like to think of it as like, if I sprain my ankle, I, there's no shame in me telling my coach, Hey coach, I sprained an ankle. And they're like, Oh, go see the trainer, go see the doctor. But if I'm having a hard time with depression and anxiety, it's like, Ooh, like there's so much shame that I don't even feel comfortable going to my coach about it. So I think if we can, as coaches create that space to say, Hey, your number one priority is your mental health. So if that's something you're struggling with, it's okay to not be okay. So I think just not shying away from having those conversations um, will be a great way to break those barriers. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think just having a conversation in itself is something that's going to go a long, long way. Like you said, what would you say just at the different schools that you've been at have been some resources that have really helped people around you? that maybe need that extra step in, you know, looking for help in that mental health, you know, awareness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, most schools have free counselors um, on campus. And I'd say, if you're a coach and you're unsure, like go ask someone in the psych department. Um, And that's been really beneficial for me, uh, being a student of psychology, like I know where the counseling place is, if I have someone who like, you know, is curious about it. So I'd say just getting familiar with those resources and, you know, making sure your players know that those are available and it is more than okay to go see a counselor. 
Yeah, 100%. Totally agree. Yeah, definitely. I think even to a lot of the the vibe with like going to see somebody or talking to somebody is like, oh, I'll like find time for it. I'll do it next week or like, oh, I'm too busy this week. I think the the biggest thing that someone did for me um, like as like coaching was like sit me down and, and made me really talk about my feelings and how I felt. And I don't th- like, I think if that wouldn't have happened, I'd probably be, it would have done my like future a disservice because I definitely would have kept pushing it off. And then now I'm not an athlete anymore. And I have all of this time to think and really like sit in, in that. And it definitely, um, I'm definitely thankful for that. So I think it's, it's huge to use those resources and services. Um, but this is just kind of a question for, um, both of you, but what has kind of been your approach towards mental health since it, since it is something that people do shy away from and it isn't always out in the open, um, but is kind of now more, more than anything, but yeah, just kind of your approach towards that. Um, it's fine. You know, just to kind of piggyback on, on what you had said earlier, Aaron, as far as like, you know, mental health, we, you know, and, and it's no offense to anything that was already said, but I think one of the main things that we have to do, especially those of us in the profession and that are trying to help destigmatize de- mental health is like not address it as an illness. Um, because again, and we talked about this earlier, we had the conversation about it's not an illness. It's not something that you can, you know, you can get like a virus. It's not something that you can, you know, that you can take medicine for and you avoid it. Like granted, you can take antidepressants, you can take, you know, but at the end of the day, like these are things that have to be addressed. And so, um, one of the main things for me, and and it's funny because like, we have hoodies for my nonprofit, which is something that I never in my mind thought, Hey, I want a nonprofit and we want to give out hoodies or we want to sell hoodies. But what I started to realize is that once I got one and then people were like, Oh, I like, or I actually got, I like made shirts in my sister's garage. We made shirts and I was wearing them out and about. And people were like, Hey, like, I like your shirt. And they're like, what is it? And I'm like, you know, and so we start talking about mental health. And so you know, then I had, I have this great group chat of, of coaching friends. And I was just like, Hey, I think I'm going to release hoodies. And they're like, Oh, we're going to buy one. You know? And so literally like all the coaches in, in our group chat bought one. And it's for me, what I've learned is that you have to be able to provide the platform for those dial for that dialogue, you know? Um, and so the way we started our nonprofit is like, we started a YouTube channel. So we started as a YouTube channel and we had, I had former players share their, their testimonies. So I had one that used to go to, went to a school and as a freshman was sexually assaulted at a, at a frat party, sexually assaulted at a frat party left. Like, and she went to the school, right? We thought, oh, wow, she's going to this school and it's a great school. It's a great D1 and she's going to go. And then all of a sudden she just came back. And like, there was no like say as to why she came back. You know, she was just like, oh, um, you know, we figured like, oh, she just got homesick, you know? And so I reached out to her and mind you, this was our freshman year of college. I'm old. So I graduated Oh three. She went to uh, this university. Uh, obviously we can't state the name of the university where she was sexually assaulted, but she went to his university, came back, went to a JUCO 
And I remember like having conversations with her, like, oh, what happened? Oh, I got homesick. I got homesick. So then um, when I started the nonprofit, I, I hit her up and I was like, hey, Marla, like, I'm going to start this nonprofit. Like, what do you think? And she's like, I would love to be your first guest on your YouTube. And so I'm thinking like, I've known Marla for 20 years, 20, I've known her since I was 12 years old. Like, what could she possibly share that, you know, like she's dealing with? And so I was like, okay, go ahead. Like, just send me the video. Just send me the video. She sends me the video. I'm crying. Like I'm crying. And again, we, I, I'm calling her and I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you couldn't feel like you could tell me this. So she shares this video and she talks about how she was sexually assaulted at a frat party and how, she, you know, she didn't tell anybody like her. So I was like, okay, are you ready to post this video? And she was like, let me call my mom, my dad, my, and my brother and tell them about it before they find out via YouTube. So I'm just like, yo, you've been sitting on this for the last 20 years. And she's like, yeah, just no one's ever really like said, hey, what is something that you're carrying? Like, what is the weight that you're carrying? And so um, she shared that YouTube video and you know, we were crying. We had, I had other former players that reached out and they said they had been molested by their parents, by their dad, by their uncle. And so literally like the first four days of launching the nonprofit, um, and it was just a YouTube channel. I'm crying because I'm just like, you know, like Julie said, like, what do you say? Like, what do you say to them? Like, Hey, I'm sorry that your dad was an asshole and was touching you a certain way. You know, it's like, what do you say? And so for me, it's like, okay, we need to provide a platform for people to share the, their testimonies. And, you know, you have Players' Tribune, but, I mean, who's on Players' Tribune? NBA players, famous people are sharing their testimonies. It's like, what about us regular folk that want to share their story? And so we started posting different things. And um, like I said, the hoodie, it was more so a means to get the conversation going. And so, um, and I, I literally was just telling my one of my best friends today, I'm like, Nini, I don't want to become a retailer. We're not a retailer. Like we're not, because I have people calling like, Hey, are you going to do like short sleeve? Are you doing long sleeve? I'm like, no, that's, you know, like I'm, I love that you guys love the, the, you know, the product, but at the same time, it's like, okay, we want to maintain the focus that we want to provide a way to create this dialogue. And so now we have people that are like posting. I mean, I have some of my great coaching friends in this chat, like they've bought hoodies and they've shared their testimony um, you know, they'll post a picture of the hoodie of them wearing a hoodie with the caption and in the caption, they share their story. Like what other way would they have been able to share that? Like, Hey, just a random post. Like, Hey, I think today I'm going to post about my ACL tear and how I dealt with it. It's like, no, like they, you, and, but it's something that needs to be said because there's other people that are dealing with it. And so, um, you know, Brie Martinez, she's in here and she is like one of my models for my nonprofit. And it was one of those things where it's like, okay, hey, Brie, you have a story to tell, you know, and it's like, how can we get that story across? You know what, like these hoodies, like you, she posts a picture of herself in the hoodie and the caption is her testimony. Then she's got other players saying like, hey, I went through that or hey, I tore, I just tore my ACL. How did you deal with that? How did you bounce back? You know, how did, and so it creates that dialogue, you know, it creates that dialogue and it, it's something that we don't have enough of, you know, and no offense to professionals and school campuses, you know, psychologists and all that, but sometimes the athletes don't want to go and sit in someone's professional office and ha be told that, hey, go get antidepressants or go and, uh, you know, do these little worksheets and then you feel a lot better. It's like, no, I really just want to sit here and talk to someone that I see every day 
and that would know what I'm going through. And so I worked under a head coach uh, recently that would get mad because the players would come into my office and like one of the players was telling me that her, her dad's boyfriend was in jail and that mom was like going into depression because the boyfriend was in jail. And so the head coach comes in and she's like, this is not a conversation that needs to be had in our office, you know? And I'm like, okay, well, this is supposed to be a safe haven. This is supposed to be, you know, an open door policy for coaches and their athletes. What is the problem? You know? And she was like, no, there's psychologists on campus that she can go talk to. You know, and so, and mind you, the player is sitting there listening to this. So she, in turn, made herself someone even more unapproachable because you are now not being sympathetic to what they're going through, you know? And so I literally told the player, like, hey, I'll meet you outside. Let's go out and we'll talk outside. You know, we'll talk outside because all she really wanted was to get it off her chest right before practice so that she can be productive during practice. And so those are things that we as coaches need to like really check in with our players. Like, Hey, how are you today? I'm good. Oh, you just good. Like, just good. You know, what's going on? Like, you know, and so grant again, granted, it takes a lot of time. You have to get to know your players. You have to invest in your players. And a lot of coaches see it as time consuming, you know, but some of the best coaches are the ones that build their relationships with the players on and off the court. And so I think that's something that, for me, I'm excited to be a part of a way to create this dialogue with coaches. You know, I mean, even my coaching friends that are in here now, like they, you know, they got a hoodie and then their, their players are going to be like, Hey coach, where'd you get your hoodie? Or I like your hoodie. And it's like, Oh yeah, it's about mental health. And it's like, Oh, well I deal with depression too. And it's like, you're going to learn so many things about people just by pretty much like throwing that lob and saying like, okay, let's talk about it. You know, and, and a lot, enough, a lot of people don't do that. Enough coaches don't do that because it's time consuming because you, it's dramatic. You know, it's a lot of drama. You don't want to know about their personal lives and things like that. But again, those are things that are going to make them better athletes on the court. If they're able to trust that, you know, they can come and talk to you and you're not going to turn them into a halfway house. You know, they're going to be like, okay, I can come and talk to my coach. And now I'm going to run through a wall for this coach that literally just sat there and listened, you know? So. Yeah, definitely run through the wall. I've definitely had, had experiences where coaches were creating an environment that made me feel safe. And I was able to do things that, I never thought I'd be on a very successful like D2 team that just made it to the tournament this past year, like things that I never thought, but because of the environment that we had, that was so safe. And it was just something that made me as a player feel so comfortable. And I knew that those coaches like genuinely cared about me. Um, and it, it really, I really truly believe that it, it does make all the difference um, in the, in the W's and the L's, which which ultimately puts a lot of pressure on the coaches in general, um, which is a, a whole different topic. But right, yeah, right. <laughs> um, even um, Julie, you too, like what kind of, how do you, like you said, like even with teammates, I feel like sometimes we just don't have like a relationship with somebody, even if it's kind of like an upperclassman in a, in an underclassman. Um, I know that those are lot, like lots of situations happen with that, but even how do you, approach or like open that dialogue and, and not it not be something that's kind of vague you know just like oh yeah I'm here for you but kind of how do you how have you been able to to bridge that gap with people 
Uh, that's a great question. Um, I actually got to interview Vic Schaefer for one of my blogs and I asked him how he kind of like creates those relationships with his players. Cause every time I see him, he's like hugging a player and he just seems so close. And he said, every day, every player has to come by his office and sign his door. And he's like, it's just a way of us building those relationships and trying to be more approachable. And a lot of times those players stop by and they'll just have a conversation and it turns into like, you know, how are you doing today? Like, oh, what's wrong? Like, why? You know, and it's not about <laughs> your name on the door. It's about how can I as a leader become more approachable? And you look at you know, Pat Summit. She would not let her players call her Coach Summit. It was Pat. It was call me Pat. And she used to say, I felt like players would be more comfortable, you know, coming to me and sharing their story, sharing those deep emotions like Patty was talking about if they could call her by her first name. So I think a lot of it comes down to just trying to be as approachable as possible. I think the great leaders um, are approachable about anything. You can talk to them about, you know, a great recipe for dinner, or you can talk to them about um, those heavy things, like how you're doing and emotionally. Um, so it just comes down to trying to be very approachable. Definitely. Definitely. Being approachable, I think, is the biggest thing. And it's something that, like, as I feel like a big thing is, like, coaches recruit players. So I think it's always been a huge bummer when players get there and they feel like coaches are just not interested. And I think that's a big thing, too, is just, like, for coaches to be transparent when recruiting and not just putting on this facade to get a player there because they ultimately like parents are trusting coaches for with their kids for the next four years regardless if they're um 18 years old or how however old they are so I definitely agree I didn't know the Pat Summit thing that's really 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 cool yeah that's why I go by Coach Patty (laughs) yeah (laughs) wait that's so awesome I did not know that I'm like and Coach Bree too uh, who's also here like we hate going by our last names it's like Coach Patty or Coach Bree you know and I've worked under some old heads that are like oh it has to be Coach Medina and I'm like I'm sorry like I've been Coach Patty since I was 16 17 years old coaching and you know I think it's one of those things like what's in the name but really it makes you more personable you know and like Juliana said like it makes you more approachable it um it puts you at a I mean it's like when coaches when you coach youth I don't know if you guys have heard like you know drop down to eye level with the kids like take a knee and coach when you're coaching little kids drop down to a knee look coach them at eye level because it teaches them that like they're not the oppressed like and you're not the you know super authority because it builds that like instead of being like a relationship where, okay, I want to listen to everything that this coach is saying. It turns into this organized, this situation where it's like, oh, wow, that's, that's just the leader. And that's like, you know, the Hitler of this camp. It's like, no, y'all can come and talk to me too. Even though I'm running the camp, you guys can come and talk to me, you know? And so like, I'll take a knee and I'll talk to the little kids. I, I hug the hell out of the kids. It's probably a good thing that we can't do any camps because i we'd be defying all kinds of COVID rules because I'm like a hugger, you know, physical touch. Um, learning the five love languages is another way that coaches can become better coaches, you know, because not everyone deals with certain things the, the same way, you know, like 
if you have a, a you know my friend her parents you know she her mom passed from covid at like six in the morning and by 1 p.m her dad passed literally the same day like six hours later and it was one of those things where it's like i've known her and i know that she's the type that she needs her space and she needs to you know be left alone and so i just sent her a text and i said hey I heard about what happened. Like if I'm here, if you need anything, I didn't hear from her for like two days, but once I finally heard from her, she was like, you know, thank you for giving me that space because, you know, people will start blowing up those phones and be like, Hey, are you okay? Are you okay? And the last thing they want to do is talk. And so, um, we just have to be able to provide that, that comfort, you know? Absolutely. Definitely agree with that. Yeah. Really good. Just adding on to this whole idea of like the player coach relationship, how do we as coaches help our student athletes understand like their value off the court? Like they're more than just the stat sheet. Like what are some things that you guys try to do? Um, I know for me, um, my identity was so wrapped up in the game. Um, and I didn't really learn how to separate those until I got injured for a while and it was like, okay, well, uh, I can't play basketball. And in my mind, I was always Julie, the basketball player. Um, so what now? Um, and I wish I would have realized that before I got injured, because now that I'm playing and let's say I have a bad game, I don't go home and think, Oh, I'm a bad basketball player. I'm like, it's just a bad game. And that has allowed me to enjoy the game so much more. So I think if coaches, can, you know, get to players and let them understand that, you know, there's going to come a time, even if you play in the WNBA, you know, that'll be another 20 years max. Like that still only takes you to 40 years old. Like after that, there's something else. So I think you have to, you know, try to help them find their passion um, off the court or whether that is coaching or sports psychology, just helping them, you know, find out what their passion is and encouraging them to go after it and start developing their skill set in that area um, while they're still playing. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Um, Coach Patty, what kind of is your take on something like that? Um, since you have kind of been in the coaching game and, and you have really had different, um, worn different hats as Zoe, I think said earlier. Um, but yeah, how have you been able to to take those kids that might not have had someone help them find their passion during their four years? And, and what have you really been able to, to see as being successful for, for getting players to figure out who they are outside of their sport? Yeah. One of the biggest things that we do with our nonprofit is like resume building. So we help with resume building. I've had um, a few players like reach out to me and they're like, I've never had a job. I've, I've never had a job and I'm about to graduate. And all I've done the last four years is play basketball. And I get to be that person and be like, are you kidding me? You'd be one of the most, if, if someone were to not hire you, they'd be ridiculous to not hire you because you have all the qualities because not because you have the experience uh, or you don't have the, you know, the employment experience, but you have all the qualities. When someone plays on a basketball team, they're a te teammate. They have time management skills. They have leadership skills. They have, you know, every attribute that an employer is looking for, they have it, you know, and it's literally just learning how to put it on paper so that when they submit a resume, 
it's like, oh, wow, you've, you've never worked. No, but I've been a coach and I've been a team captain and I've been, you know, and so they're able to learn how to vouch for themselves. And so, um, that's one of the things that we focus on is we, you know, I, I'll get emails and say, Hey, can you please edit my resume? You know, and I'll edit at resumes and, um, you know, and I'm still learning too. Like I've had Adam, like I've asked Adam, like, Hey, what do you think? And then it was like, my resume is 20 pages. Oh, maybe you should narrow it down. You know, and it's like, we're all learning. And so it's like the, the, I, I read this quote the other day and it was like the, Oh no, it was actually, I didn't read it. I was listening to the Weisnard series. Um, Kobe Bryant's Weisnard series and one of the uh, Weisnard proverbs was the moment you think that someone is perfect is the moment you can no longer help them or you no longer are a help to them or something like it was something to that extent but it really resonated with me because it's like okay the moment that we think that our players are good like oh they graduated they're good to go it's like that's the moment we stop helping them and so for me I try to tap in with my players. Like, you know, even I had a player just recently that bought a hoodie, you know, they bought a hoodie and I hadn't talked to her for like 18 years, you know, 18 years because she was a former teammate of mine and she bought a hoodie. And like, I literally reached out and I was like, Hey, like, thanks for buying a hoodie. Like how's life going? You know? And it was just one of those things where it's like, we have to be able to make the time to, um, you know, check in with our players and make sure that we know where they are mentally uh, before they even step on the court. And so uh, one of the resources is that the the resume and then another resource that we do is, um, you know, we try to build networks. And so I have players that, you know, same with with all my coaching, my coaching group chat that we have. It's like, hey, I, Christina, like I have somebody that wants to meet you because they're looking to uh, be a in this position, or they're trying to coach at the D1 level. I don't know. I don't have any experience, but what about you? And so I try to connect them. I think for me, a lot of times I've noticed that some coaches don't want to share their network. They don't want to be like, Oh, Hey, I know coach. Yo, like, let me plug you. Like, no, they don't because they want to just keep that to themselves. And so for me, anybody that I know, I will be like, Hey, you know, you're, if you're looking to get hired, at a pharmaceutical, like, let me find out which one of my friends are coaches, you know, and, and my friends laugh because they're like, you know, everybody It's like, I know everybody because I've reached out to literally every single, every single industry that I've been able to find for my players. And so in turn, it kind of helps. And like, I'll tell my players all the time, like, don't make me look bad because if I send one player and they do a great job, then guess what? Now another player has work another player has a job offer. And so those, those are things that we as coaches, again, it's very time consuming, but it's something that we as coaches need to take more pride in doing because we, we, we don't help enough. You know, we help enough on the court. Coaches are great on the court. You know, some are great on the court, but as far as like preparing someone, you know, to, to being able to be in the real world and be, you know, be productive in the real world. Like it's scary. Like you get into your adulting and it's like, Oh shoot, what do I do now? You know, I, I'm not playing basketball. What do I do? And so that's where we as coaches have to come, you know, come and be help. Absolutely. Definitely. Um, Ashton, are we ready to go into some viewer questions? Yes, we are. Uh, okay. Tyler Clark, you want to go ahead? You, ra uh, you raise your hand you can unmute yourself. Yeah, I, 
I've really enjoyed this because um, I think one of the biggest things, uh, even growing up as a player, um, personally, I never had a good personal relationship. Like during the season, um, I feel like coaches are always, you know, like right for you and helping you out. But something I always miss and I still look at because it's helping me become a coach for today's world, um, for the kids that I coach is, I always wanted that coach that was there for me all the time, like in the summer, um, five years from now. I really don't keep in contact with my coaches. That's just who they were. Um, it's just not what I, it's not what I wanted. I know a lot of my buddies who we still stay in contact and we don't have that anymore. But I think the biggest thing is kind of funny, uh, Coach Patty, how you were talking about little kids. I teach second grade. So uh, when it comes to little kids, uh, it's very, very for sure. You better get to their level or yeah. they'll freak out, especially as, especially as a guy. Um, they kind of get scared at first with me. But then once they see that, I'm just like caring for them. Uh, but I think that's really helped me. But my question for you is, is that, um, I've seen it in so many perspectives. Like I've seen the coaches that are so personable that they don't have the respect from the players because they see them as themselves, like their own kids. Like they don't see them as priority. I've seen the coaches where they have no personal weight. Like you were saying how you had the open door, but the other coach in front of them, I can't believe a coach would do that, but that's them. But um, saying like, hey, they can need to go see someone. Well, I also have seen, you know, the coaches that are really good at that. But when it comes to getting a technique, together with the coaching staff to understand like helping all of those click together as a whole. What are some uh, techniques you can do maybe throughout the season, beginning of the season, maybe out outside in the summer of the season? What are some techniques you can do uh, with your peers as well as your coaching staff and your whole team that will help out, I guess, with your program? Yeah, no, that that's a great question because the main thing with that is being able to create boundaries. And so as a coach, you have to be able to create boundaries to where it's like, okay, look, we cool. But once we're on the court, like you have to listen to what I'm saying. You have to respect, you know, and I've, for me, I got to experience that in like a, a huge way when I went from being an assistant coach to a head coach. And so when I went from an assistant coach to a head coach, for me, that was like a slap in the face because it's like, okay. I, I have to trust my assistants that they are going to be able to build those relationships with the players and that me as a head coach, I'm not going to know everything that's going on. And so I've worked under coaches that head coaches that want to know everything and don't trust their assistants to be able to dilute what comes through to them. So I learned that on both ends. So I, as an assistant, I was the person that the players would come to and they'd tell me, you know, I'm on my period or I have this, I have that. And then I'm like, okay, as long as you show up today, I don't need to go and relate this information to the head coach, you know, because it's not going to interfere with how you're playing. But if your breakup with your boyfriend or your girlfriend is going to affect how you're playing, then I have to tell coach like, yo, she's going through it because they broke up or whatever. And so but those are the things where one, they have to, you have to build rapport with them so that they understand that when you do go quote unquote snitch to the head coach, it's because it's affecting how they play, how they're performing, how they're, you know, how they're reacting. Um, secondly, as a, as a head coach, one of the biggest lessons that I learned, and this, this is something that I wish somebody would have told me that when you transition from assistant to head coach, this is going to be the biggest slap in the face is that you have to be the bad guy at, you know, for the extent of the season, like you, and not only that, you have to trust your assistants to be able to diffuse certain situations. So for me, um, 
I remember my players when I my first year as the head coach, I had some really like, you know, excuse my language, but I had some pain in the ass players, you know, and I would not sleep at night because I'm like, they don't like me. I have issues with them. They don't like me. They don't, you know, and for me, it was like, they don't like me. They don't like me. It's easy to like the assistant coach. It's very easy to like the assistant coach because they're coming to you and you're being that personable. But once I became a head coach, it was like, oh, wow. Now I understand what the head coach is going through and why she can be, you know, a mean person one day and then be chill the next. And so I think in order to be able to provide that safe haven of personal rapport and being able to speak to them at a, at a, at a more intimate level, but then also have maintain the respect, there has to be boundaries. So, um, and it has to start from the top down. So if the head coach um, makes comments like the one that I was working under where it's like, hey, th th these aren't conversations that are being had, that is something that to this day, I tell her that is something you should have pulled me aside and it should have been discussed behind closed doors. You know, that's something that needs to be discussed behind closed doors. So as a, if, if any of you are head coaches, you need to sit your assistants down and tell them like, okay, these are the topics that I will allow. These are the topics that I won't allow. These are the topics that, you know, and because I've worked under head coaches that it's all gray area, all gray area. And it's like pulling teeth because it's like, okay, you don't know if that's what they want. You know, I, I mean, I've talked to coaches now. I, and it's crazy because I'm like, I have people reach out to me and be like, oh, so-and-so needs a mentor. And I'm like, me, mentor? But it's like, okay, I've been on both sides. I've been on both sides where I've worked under a head coach that wants to micromanage and wants to know everything. But then I've also been the assistant that the coach allows more freedom. And so one, you have to build your trust with your assistants. If you're the head coach, build the trust with your assistants. If you don't trust your assistants, you, there needs to be a change in, in change in staff, point blank period. If you don't trust your assistants, there needs to be a change in staff because what ends up happening is the players, especially women, because we're so intuitive, we pick up on those things. Like you pick up on it, you know? And then secondly, the boundaries have to be established. And so if let's say, you know, Coach Imani, you know, she comes in and she's like, what's up y'all? And then she goes and tells somebody like, look, you didn't touch the line. And they just kind of blow her off. Like, whatever coach. Like, and it's like, no, you need to hold your ground and say, go back and touch the line. And at the end of the day, what they understand is that it's tough love and it's coming from a genuine place because you've built that rapport. So when you try to, when you try to correct, and, and again, it's like you were talking about Tyler, you were talking about working with the little kids. Like if you see them eye to eye, when you go to correct something that they did wrong, they won't see it as like, oh shoot, this is, you know, Mr. Clark is the cop today. You know, it's like, no, it's someone that cares about me. So they're going to correct me. And so they're going to give me feedback and they're, they're telling me that to stop doing this because it's something that is a beneficial to me. And so a lot of coaches try to do things without having built the rapport. And so you're literally like, in, ineffective because you've never built that rapport with the players. And so I know a lot of older coaches, um, I don't talk to my high school coach. I don't talk to my college coach. We didn't have any relationship to that extent. And, and like you, Tyler, I didn't want to be that coach. I didn't want to be that coach. And so for me, relationship building is very important. And I, I focus on the relationship building amongst the team too, because if they can't come to the assistant, they should be able to come to their captains. And again, it's a trickle effect where it starts with the head coach, 
it goes to the assistant and then the assistants, you know, the captains are an extension of the coaching staff. And then you got your point guard is an extension of the coaching staff. And so it literally is a trickle effect, but if it's not good at the top and the trust isn't at the top and the, and, and the philosophy isn't established, then you kind of have everything falling apart from the top down, you know, because the coach has an idea of how his or her program is supposed to look, but everybody else is, is walking around a gray area, not really knowing like what the expectations are. And so those are things that as coaches, we have to be more adamant about our black and whites and not just be like, oh, it's cool. You know, it's, it's, it's cool. It's cool, T, if, if they come to you, oh, don't worry about it. No, it's like, but at the end of the day, it bothered that coach, you know? And so the more black and white you become as a head coach with the expectations, the easier it is to establish your philosophy. And then it easier it is to build rapport with your players because they'll know, okay, when we walk in through those, when we walk into those four lines, it's, it's coach P, you know, but when we walk out here, it could be, Hey, coach Patty, or what's up, coach? you know, but in there it's like, yes, coach no coach. Yes, coach. Like I'm, I'm old school in that sense that I want a response back. Yes, coach. No coach. Do y'all hear me? Yes, coach. You know, and I do this in my camps, my basketball camps. I'll teach this kid. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. Like those are things, again, expectations. You can't expect them to, to do it unless they're being set those standards. So um, no, that was a great question. And as far as like different work, you know, different uh, skills or things like that. It's really more so about just establishing boundaries. Um, once you establish boundaries amongst your staff, amongst your captains and amongst your team leaders, then it kind of just trickles down. And coming from a player that pushed boundaries and didn't always think that I, I like always had my own kind of like, I would have taken the what's up coach P into the floor yeah. and been like, why aren't you yet? Like, why are you yelling at me? Like, we're cool. Like you were just like, we were just kicking it in your office like 10 minutes ago. What was really beneficial for me because I am my, I used to have a bad attitude. I didn't know how to control it yet. Was like my coach one day was just like, I'm really mad at you. And I was like, what, what do you mean? You're really mad at me. And she just said, I'm really mad at you. Like, I didn't like the way that you were behaving or I didn't like this. And I think my most beneficial experience from coaches like coach Patty was then like, it was a two way, like it was a street. It wasn't just like a one way of, oh, okay. Like you pissed me off. I'm not going to actually tell you, I'm just going to like keep it in and then like kind of give you the cold shoulder. And, and as a coach, like you're already on that level. So you already kind of are superior and have that upper edge and like hand in the situation. But for, for my coaches to be like, Hey, like, I really didn't like the way you did this. Or even just like, Hey, I really liked the way that you did this. I think it made it, it made it very for me to know my place is because they were telling me my place when I crossed it or when I wasn't like upholding expectations. Yeah. For me, that's that's one of the things that like, and I'll talk to players and I'm like, you know, what is something that like I said to you that you haven't forgotten and one thing they remember is like, if I, if they ever disappointed me, you know, like I, I'll, I won't be like, I'm upset or I'm mad for me. My word is I'm disappointed. Like I'm disappointed in you. And so when I tell the player, like, oh, I'm disappointed in your performance today, you know, it's not like I'm mad. Like actually they would probably prefer that I'm mad, but it's like, when you're disappointed, it's like, it's like being a parent, you know, I, I, I mean, I'm a parent and for me, if I tell my son I'm mad at him, he knows it's going to pass. And he knows it's like, oh, it's momentarily. But if you tell someone it's dis you're disappointed in them, 
it's something that like it kind of hits a little deeper and you realize like oh wow I let this person down and they care about me so much that I don't want to disappoint them ever again you know and so and again it's all about building rapport it's all you know one of the things I had listened to Shaka Smart um a few years back in in Vegas and he said one of the best things that a coach can do that doesn't have kids is take a parenting class so if if like you don't have any kids and you're a coach take a parenting class because no offense to my cat lovers but and and pet lovers and all that but that's not real like real real parenting you know it's like take a parenting class Christina no offense Christina but take a parenting class and it's really gonna emphasize you know all those skill sets in that in that extent the tough love and the scolding without um being demeaning, you know, because you can scold someone and be very offensive, you know, and and be very insulting, and you're not going to get a good response. And so a parenting class and, you know, Shaka Smart was like, yeah, the best thing I did, and this was before he had kids, he was like, the best thing I did as a young coach was take a parenting class. And they were just like, okay, this is, you know, this is you be, yeah, like, you know, become such a great coach from learning how to be a parent. If you're a K through 12 teacher, you're a, you can be a great coach because you learn classroom management. You learn how to um, scold without offending. You know how to, you know, I've never had to put my son in timeout because you, you get that teacher look, that parent look, you know, and it's like, these are things that if you learn them, you know, you're literally going to do yourself justice as a coach, especially if you're a young coach. So I definitely recommend taking a parenting class if you don't have any kids, because it really teaches you how to discipline through love. And then it, it teaches you how to um, speak to certain kids, you know, take a knee. Like these are things I like. And I was a sociology major growing up. And I remember I was I remember before I had a kid, I was like, dude, when I have a kid, he's going to be like my science project, you know, because I'm going to try all these things. And I mean, he turned out, I think he turned out great. You know, he's, he's, he's not, he's not somebody that I have to worry about, you know? And so um, for me, it's those things that I think it, it would be very beneficial. And if, if you take anything from this talk is take a parenting class, you know, as a coach, because it's really going to help you and you're really going to learn how to address, you know, certain issues without being so, you know, standoffish in a sense. Definitely. Yeah. Um, Julie, we had a submitted question for you. So this is kind of directed for you, but how do you improve mental and or emotional stamina, particularly in high stress, stress environments? Love that question. Um, so I actually started doing ultra marathons a few years ago, which was like 31 miles. And I remember the first time I did it, I'm like at mile 25, just like crying. Like, I'm like, why did I do this? This is horrible. Like, and then the next year I was like, okay, there's going to come a time when you're going to hit a wall and you're going to want to quit. Like, what am I going to do? How do I prepare for this? So instead of like chanting a mantra, which is like some advice, like I've been given, it was like, okay, let me just take the next step to the very best of my ability. And then the next step and the next step, because a lot of times we get overwhelmed. Like when I was thinking about, oh my gosh, I just ran 25 miles. When we're thinking about how far left we have to go, it's like, oh my gosh, another six miles. But when we focus on staying in the present moment and doing the best we can 
right now, then all of a sudden we have plenty of energy for just one step. So I think it comes back to, you know, playing in the moment, living in the moment and staying there and trying to take the very next step, whatever that is to the best of your ability. Definitely. That's huge. Being present. I feel like that's a huge thing now that's hard. I feel like everyone's just waiting for like, oh, only so many more days. And then it's like this part of the country, like, oh no, now. Three more months. Yeah. And then, yeah, like California, it's like, oh, they're already starting this. And definitely, I think like being present is a huge thing. What are some ways that you um, kind of do that from the day to day, especially kind of during like COVID? Yeah. It's like every day, it's like, how can I get better today? And I think it's, a really intentional mindset of like, I'm not going to worry about tomorrow. Like tomorrow can worry about itself, but just thinking of it as today is enough. And if today is all I have, how am I going to get better today? How am I going to find a way to enjoy today? Even if I'm stuck in the house and I'm bored, like what can I do today that will bring me joy and fulfillment Um, so for me, that's been like every day I'm going to send out a tweet and I don't just want to, you know, send out something that can get me a lot of likes. I want to find a way to add value to people. Um, so that's what I've been trying to do to, you know, just focus on, you know, living every day. Um, like it's my last. Find a way to add value to people. I love that. Um, also then there's one more question. Um, I think, yeah, from um, Imani. Yeah. What was that? Coach Gordon, yeah. She yes. Question. Yeah, so Coach Gordon's question was, are there any activities you suggest to do with your athletes during the year to make sure they are up to par with their mental health? Um, when I became a head coach, one of the main things that I wanted, and I sent this to Aaron, I think so. I, Aaron, I sent it to you, my, my mental health handbook. Um, I have a mental toughness handbook that I've, and I, I don't mind sharing it with you guys. Um, and it's literally like, you know how you have your player handbook where it talks about GPA and, and uh, you know, rules and drug usage and all that. Like, so I have a mental toughness handbook that I created when I first took on a head coaching job. And um, it gives activities to do with players. And so we do a lot of journaling. Um, One of the things that I like to do, especially if there's like a big event. So for example, you had uh, Ahmaud Arbery's, you know, murder, which is, was super controversial and it hit people differently. Some people were very, you know, whatever, nonchalant about it. And then other people were really affected because they have a brother that likes to run and jogs and jog down the street, or they have a, a cousin that, you know, is, is a marathon runner or whatever. And so for people, it hit differently. And what a lot of coaches don't do is they don't bring it in, in a sense, to discuss these topics. Because one, it's, it's eating up practice time, that very limited practice time, or it's creating um, a controversy, or you don't want to say the wrong thing, because I'm a Mexican coach, And, you know, the person that was shot was black. And so I don't understand. It's like really sympathy and being empathetic of a situation. You could care less what color of their skin is, but a death is a death. 
whether it was a suicide or whether it was someone getting shot or whether somebody was in a car accident, a death is a death and it's going to hit people differently. Some people will get over it right away and some others won't. And so as coaches, we have to be able to come together and be like, you know, let's say there, there was something in the news that, you know, someone was shot and it was a black on black crime or a cop or whatever. And it happened right before and it's trending or it's on social media or everybody's watching it. And so it, it won't hurt as a coach to start practice and bring it in together and be like, how do y'all feel about that? How, how do you guys feel about it? Like, get it off your chest. We're here. Let's, let's talk about it. And so some people might be like, Hey, you know, I, I, I can't relate. Or some people might not even say anything, you know? And so, um, but the fact that you as a coach have provided that platform to be able to discuss it, those are things that are very important because it might be something that is, is weighing heavy on them, you know, is might be weighing heavy on them. And so, or, you know, or they have a, a death in the family and you don't know that unless you probe, you know, and, and uh, as coaches, I don't think we probe enough in that sense. Um, but I think, I think it's one of the things that for me, um, that handbook really helped me understand, like, and I give them a folder. So they walk in, um, on the beginning of the year, here's your folder. And at the back of it, it has like playbook and stuff like that. So it's included. It's a, it's a mental toughness handbook that you add into your playbook. So you add it into your playbook and it has like a description and it talks about mental health. It talks about mama mentality and talks about all these things. And then on the back end of it, it has like different journals. I'm sure Julie, you, you know, a lot of different resources to be able to like learn how to deal with certain situations. And so there was one that we would do every day when they would walk into practice and they would say, how do you, on a scale from one to 10, how do you feel today? Um, uh, what do you expect to do well today at practice? And so it was like this little short, it's a, it's a one page uh, journal. The top half is for before practice. The bottom half is for after practice. And so the top half will ask them like, how did he feel going into practice? Uh, what are their expectations coming out of this practice? What is something that they want to improve during this practice? And so then we close out practice, they go get their folders and they fill it out on a scale from one to 10, rate your performance at practice today. And be honest, you know, and it's like, oh, okay, well, today I practice like crap. So I'm going to give myself a four. Guess what? By the athlete giving themselves a four, it kind of already emphasizes the expectation. And so I, I've had players that will write and I don't look through their journals. Like I let them at the end of the season or at the end of the day, I've had players come and be like, I need you to read this because I need someone to read it. And so I'll read it. But for the most part, like they just literally write it and then they turn it in and the next day it's there, you know? And so um, that was, for me, was something that was really helpful because, you know, I, like I told you guys, I was, I was a head coach at a school that we didn't have a gym. So there were days where we had to move practice, like literally 15 minutes before practice was supposed to start. They, they tell us like, Hey, there's no gym available. So then we're going to go practice outside. So it's like, okay, let's all bring it in together. Let's journal what's going on. And some players were right. I'm frazzled because it changed my routine. You know, usually at 15 minutes, I'm stretching, I'm putting on my shoes. And then now we're having to switch locations and it's messing me up, you know? And so now you, we get to emphasize control the controllables. And so that for me was one of the resources that I used. And uh, to this day, I use it, you know, with other programs. Um, now I've, I've started doing like mental skills training, like Zoom 
meetings with different teams. And so I'll, I'll probe these questions and then they'll have to answer the questions in the Zoom. And so I had a mental skills training session with Team Durant out in Baltimore. And I posed the questions like, hey, because um, they were getting ready to have their first Zoom workout, right? So they were getting ready to have their first Zoom workout. And the head coach was telling me that she was worried that there wasn't going to be much productivity. And so, you know, I told her, I was like, well, hey, I, I can do this, this mental skills training with them and then kind of see where they're at mentally. And so all I asked them was on a scale from one to 10, how do you rate your quarantine so far, your productivity during quarantine? Um, uh, you know, how, if, have you worked out? And so it's just little things that would probe. And I can send you guys the questions as well, um, or Aaron or, or um, Ashton, I can send it to you guys and you guys can send it out. But it was literally like a questionnaire and we had a Zoom meeting before the actual Zoom workout and we we posed these questions. And so she hit me up after the Zoom workout and she was like, everybody gave on full effort. Like they were all checked in, you know, they all realized like, and so it was these questions that probed certain things. And it's like, what's your, pro and I was honest with them too. I was like, hey, there's certain days where I don't feel like doing anything. So if we're being honest, I'm gonna rate my quarantine a six. You know, and then or, and on certain days, it might be a 10 or on certain days, it might be a two, you know, and so those are things that for me, it's very important to be able to be transparent with them and not try to be this perfect person, you know, for for your athletes, because you're you're putting up a fake facade, you know, you're putting up a facade if you try to be perfect in front of your players and then you end up kind of doing yourself a disservice. Yeah, really, really good. Couldn't have said it any better. You are just spitting facts <laughs> for lack of a better term um coach Corey you want to go ahead and ask your question yeah thanks for sharing both of you um you kind of just touched on it even a little bit so but so I've been in college athletics only three years um and before then I was working in the mental health field full-time so I went to grad school for that and so I have a big passion for that. And then I decided to kind of switch gears and go to um, college athletics. So my, I'm still like putting words to this, but the tricky part for me is that like the values of coaching and athletics people are just so different from the values that we're talking about of like mental health and wellness, right? So it's like coaches, you know, like to brag about, how hard they work and they grind and they never sleep and they have all this <laughs> stuff going on and, you know, they never stop and, you know, push through and work when it's hard, uh, you know, all these things that we know. And then the mental health side says like, stop, take a breath, like feel your feelings, yeah. share with people, you know, don't just, like do harm to your body or yourself. And it's like, it's so hard for me because I care about both of these things a lot. Like I'm a competitor, you know, I'm all in for that. And like, I just, I feel like the most healthy possibility is for there to be both somehow. And, you know, like you've mentioned already, like there's coaches on this end of the spectrum that like or maybe more old school that like really don't care want to hear about that stuff and just say like go to practice like done you know live your life be fine and then there's coaches that you know are so touchy-feely that they don't get much done 
So I don't know what my real question is, but that's that's just kind of where I'm at because it's so hard when I like hear these coaches that are bragging about these things that just aren't healthy. Yeah. And that's the example that they're sending to their kids. Meanwhile, they're verbally telling their kids, oh, like get eight hours of sleep and take care of yourself. But then you as a coach aren't doing that. And like, I don't get that. And it's funny you say that because I have a coach that I worked under the coach that I worked under, um, she was like that, you know, she was like that and worked crazy hours. And you have to realize that lifestyles like that are a mental health situation in itself. You know, um, I don't know how familiar you are with OCD. OCD, people that have OCD have like an underlying issue that they, there's something in their life that is out of whack, right? It's something in their life that's out of whack. And the only thing they can control is how clean their house is, how organized their closet is, how how color coordinated their pencils are, you know, because it's like literally it OCD is a mental health issue, if we want to call it an issue. OCD is one of those. And so one of the same with being a workaholic, you know, you try to control the things that you can control, and in turn you're becoming this robot where it's like, you don't, like you said, Corey, they don't stop to smell the roses because it's like, okay, I'm going to run out of time to be productive, you know? And it's like, but that's the example we're setting for these players. It's like, Hey, you guys be so, you know, you have to get your eight hours of sleep and you have to eat healthy, but then coaches walking in with McDonald's and a large fries and a big, big drink talking about, Hey, be healthy and take care of your, you know, your food intake. And so for me, I think it's one of the things that we have to learn how to, um, again, if you become a transparent, so if you become transparent and you are honest with yourself and with others, then you say, Hey, you know, for example, the coach that I worked under, the coach that I worked under, he was that type where he was like, work, 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 work. Right. And, um, when I finally sat down and had a conversation with her, um, I found out that, you know, her parents didn't, her parents, in, in the way that she was brought up, her parents felt like she was always a failure, like she was always a disgrace, that she was always, um, you know, the, the black sheep of the family. So I'm sitting there talking to her and I'm like, bro, you have issues, like, and you're transferring them on to these players because you're not accepting your own problems. And so um, I literally sat down and I was like, look, you are, you don't have to prove your parents, right? You don't have to prove them wrong. Like you are an adult, like you're 38 years old. Like you are successful. You're a hall of famer. Like you're, you know, but it got to the point where it's like, you need to come to terms with these issues. And so I think as people, the more uh, compassionate we are with others. So like the coworker that you have, especially now it is, and as athletic administrator, you see these coaches that are just like, and so I would recommend sit down and have a conversation with them and be like, Hey, so you're a workaholic, huh? Like what, why? Like, what is the underlying? And you'll be surprised what you've learned about them. And then you start to become a little bit more compassionate because you realize like, okay, this person, you know, I have a best, one of my best friends, she's OCD, you know, she's OCD and she goes to therapy and like, I'll sit down and have conversations with her. And I'm like, you know, and she's like, you know what? I realized that being OCD is because when I was younger, 
she when she was younger she was molested by her uncle and she couldn't tell anybody and so her whole life was out of whack and the only thing she could do was clean her room to feel comfortable to feel clean she would take you know numerous showers and she'd clean her room and and she'd have everything organized and color coordinated because she knew that the outside world was hectic for her and so now as an adult she's 38 years old as an adult she's dealing with ocd and she's going to therapy having to realize these underlying issues and so I think the more we have these conversations with people, you know, you start to understand what it is that's that's going on on the behind the scenes, especially for athletic admin. It's so hard and and I'm I'm in the process of going into that side of of coaching and the more administrative side and you have to deal with so many personalities. You know, you have the coach that you said is the touchy feely one and then you or and you start to think like, okay, wait, where are the boundaries? You know, there's boundaries or, hey, the players like her way too much. Like, that's not, that's weird, you know? And it's like, no, just have conversations with people. And I think the more opportunity we have to create dialogue about these situations, the better we will understand them. And so um, I guess to answer your question, uh, Corey, or, you know, more of like a statement, I think finding that happy medium would be more so trying to see things from their point of view as to why they are these workaholics, but then also um, try to influence them to uh, not influence them, but make them understand that it's not healthy, you know, that it's not like, regardless of how hard they work, like whether they answer an email at two o'clock in the morning or at seven o'clock in the morning, the person that's responding probably won't respond until nine when they walk into the office, you know? And so it's like, you have to be able to find um, compassion in order to talk to, to people that, that deal with those like really, you know, workaholic, like work, 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 no sleep. Um, I think for me, that's one of the biggest lies that I grew up believing was that, you know, um, what is it like successful people don't sleep? It's like, that's, that's the biggest lie that I learned as an entrepreneur. And, and that I realized like, wow, you're not productive. Like if you can't function, like you're not productive, you know? And so um, I think again, just being compassionate and learning and trying to learn the, the backside of their story, you start to understand like, wow, this person has a lot of issues, underlining issues. And I understand them and you become a little bit more sympathetic. Yeah, and just to piggyback off what you said, um, the Warriors' four core values are compassion, competitiveness, mindfulness, and joy. So I think when it comes to like workaholic and, you know, waking up early, staying late to work, I think it comes down to why are you doing what you're doing? Are Mm -hmm. you waking up early and working hard to try to get validation to try to impress someone is it because your identity is wrapped up in the game yeah doing it because it's something you love and it's something that brings you joy um so I think why you're doing what you're doing is more important than what you're doing if you're waking up early not sleeping definitely definitely wow you guys are really killing it um our last question is from coach Caitlin uh, it's for Julie. Um, what are some things you have brought to your team to help them with the mental side of things, as well as have you had to be a bridge between your teammates and coaches? And if so, how do you handle that? That's a really good question. Yeah, that's a great question. I think Caitlin and I played for the same JUCO. Um, 
So when I first created the blog, I was spending a lot of time in Coach Stebbins, my coach's office, and I would write whatever our team was going through. So I remember one week it was like, oh my gosh, we were watching film. I was like, I can't stand this body language. Like, why are they doing this? And, you know, I'll try to pick them up during the game be like, get your head up. Come on. Like, you know, um, and then I wrote about it and I was like, hey, coach, can I present to the team on this? And I think it's one thing when, you know, you're constantly hearing stuff from your coach, but when you have a teammate who's telling you something, who worked on it, it it's like, oh, okay, well, if they're saying this. Um, so like presenting and doing stuff like that um, has really been how I've kind of bridged that gap between being a coach or, or like having coaches have these issues and, you know, running ball is psych. Um, and also like, I will print out my blogs and I will hand them out to my teammates and we'll all read it together in the locker room. I remember there's one point during the season where we were watching film and I was like, hang on coach, you see how that team just like came together in that huddle and they were all high-fiving even though they just messed up. Like, why don't we do that? That's why they're ahead. Like they're acting like a stronger team. Um, so then the next game, it was like, okay, we're going to get touches. Like, it doesn't matter if someone messed up, if someone did well, like, let's all come together. Um, so for me, it's been like, okay, how can I help my team even off the court? And a lot of that is like inspiration for my blog. Definitely. Definitely. Really good. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so basically just to kind of wrap it up, um, this has been incredible. Everything that you guys have have said and everything that you're about and you represent. Um, but something we always like to finish our blogs with are our blogs. Mm-hmm. Our, I almost said blog too. Like, Hey, welcome to my YouTube channel. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> our, my, <laughs> um, for women in sports, we want to do, um, like your points of pride. So for our, our guest panelists, just like, like something, something kind of quick of like, what's one thing that you try getting out of every day when you're doing your job, it could have been the best or worst day, but what is something you can look back on and feel proud of or something that you can think about and that encourages you of like, Hey, I should do this better tomorrow, or I didn't do this good enough today. Like, how can I improve? Um, so yeah, what's kind of your guys's points, personal points of pride that you have. Um, that's a great question. I think I, measure success in terms of fulfillment. So if I get a DM and someone says, hey, this tweet really helped me out, or, you know, if I can have a phone call with someone and, you know, help them out in some way, that is the most rewarding part of my day. So I try to make it a point to help someone in some way and add value um, every day. Yeah, I'll piggyback off that too. I think um, the more we can add value to people's lives, especially in the mental health aspect of it, um, whether it's a tax, whether it's a, hey, I miss you, you know, um, I hope you're doing well, or how's COVID, you know, I think there's not enough love going around, especially right now. And so um, you never know, it's easier right now to hide from this. You know, a lot of us are are facing a lot of demons during quarantine because we're, we're having to sit in our own solitude. And a lot of us haven't been in, in this kind of space ever, you know, um, for me, like I'm relearning how to be a mother because I've been coaching 
before my son was even born. And it's like, oh, wow, I, I, I actually really love my son. Like I get to spend all day with him, you know? And it's like, it's one of those things where it's like, it's, it's the more value, like Julie said, the more value you can add to people's lives, the more you, you get in return, you know, because you can go to bed knowing that, you know, you, you woke up with, with the purpose and you went to bed with the purpose. And so um, I think that's one of the biggest things. That's awesome. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, really good. I, I, I completely agree. Just in essence of everything that we've uh, discussed, you know, the mental health aspect, coaching, you know, Julie, you're still a student athlete. Coach Patty, you know, you coach student athletes. What are some encouraging words of advice that you want to share out to people that are listening that maybe want to pursue a coaching spot, maybe want to pursue um, understanding mental health better, like continuing to be an advocate after this discussion? What would you say? Um, that is probably like the best question thus far, because it's like very, it's like all encompassing. Um, I've, I went into depression because I got what I want. I wanted to be a head coach. I wanted to be a head coach so bad that I took very crappy jobs. And, but at the end of the day, like I had the head coach title, you know? And so, um, like Julie said, I lost sight of my why. And I started to realize like, okay, I'm, I'm chasing this, this accolade that is not giving me any fulfillment and I'm losing sight of why I'm actually doing it. And so one thing that I would recommend young coaches that want to be head coaches, um, really understand who you are as a person and as a coach and hold, hold firm to that because you'll be working under institutions where they'll make you want to be someone that you're not, you know, you, they'll, they'll try to influence you to um, not be as outgoing or not be as personable or, uh, you know, like Corey said, like, you know, they might work under administration that says you're not supposed to be that nice, or you're supposed to be in the office, you know, 15 hours a day. Like it, the more you hold true to who you are, the easier it will be to maneuver through this, this, uh, this career, because, um, being a coach is cutthroat. Being a coach is very cutthroat and you're going to go through some things that are going to hurt your feelings. And you're going to think that people that were your friends are going to undermine you and take you, you know, certain job offers from you. And I mean, I've literally experienced it all. And there were days where like, I really got to the point where I was like, wow, this is a very cutthroat business that we're in, you know? And I think that if I didn't have my faith, um, I would have probably gone down a deeper hole, you know, through with my depression because I had nothing to hold on to. You know, I had a losing season. We were two and 25 one year and I, I was questioning what I was doing. Like, well, I'm not supposed to be coaching like this is, you know, but I had, from that same season, I've been in five of their weddings and I'm a godmom to three of their kids, but we were two and 25 that year, you know, and I ended up being coach of the year because my colleagues understood what I was going through, you know, as far as like the resources and the lack of resources that I had. And so you have to be able to hold on to something because it's a very cutthroat business. And if you don't have, whether your family or your faith or your why, if you don't have something to hold on to, you, you're going to have some very tough disappointments through your career. And I mean, I've been coaching 16 years and 
I, I, like I said, I, I've pretty much experienced all of it, you know, getting, getting let go because a new AD came in and cleaned house, you know, or, um, you know, getting let go because the school's in the risk of losing their accreditation or, Hey, getting let go because just the coach decided we didn't want to go that way, you know? And so the, for me, the more you hold on, and I saw this, this, uh, Instagram post, I'm going to be cliche. And, uh, this Instagram post said that the more, the best advice that I had that I've gotten is don't attach yourself to a position, a title, a anything. Don't attach yourself to any title, any position, any school, any organization. Attach yourself to a purpose because if you attach yourself to a purpose, whether it's D2, D3, high school, middle school, it becomes your big time. It becomes your purpose because it's what you're trying to do. And so the title is no longer, um, it no longer holds any weight. And so the more you attach your daily strive to your purpose, the more fulfillment you'll have. And, and like Julie said, it's your why at the end of the day, it's like, what is your why? And the more you pursue positions, like, let's say for me, like I'm in transition and I'm gonna give him a shout out because he's in here and he told me not to, but, uh, I'm working, I work with the Wizards, the Wizard, Washington Wizards junior NBA team, you know, and I'm having a transition from coaching college to working with, um, you know, a basketball camps, you know, and for me, it's like, I love basketball camps because it's no longer, uh, my fulfillment is no longer attached to a head coaching title. Like I would have wished a month ago, maybe even what three months ago when I interviewed for a head coaching position, I was really sitting there and it's like, do I even really want this job? You know, do I even really want to, you know? And I was like, you know what, I'm gonna just apply. And if I get it cool, if not, like it, my purpose is not that head coaching title, you know? And so, um, you know, Jamison Martinez, he, he hit me up at the blue and was like, Hey, are you still thinking about coaching? And I was just like, well, if the opportunity comes up and it's like, Oh, Hey, why don't you coach with us at the junior wizards? You know? The, and so for me, it was one of those things where it's like, had it been four months prior, I probably would have, you know, felt as a disappointment, but now it's like, wow, like I get to be a part of an organization that, you know, helps kids and I get to coach, you know? And so it's one of those things where for me, um, I've finally shifted from not chasing that head coaching title to just chasing a purpose. And so it, it becomes all encompassing. Definitely. Yeah, that's it. Well said. Um, I would say just build people up. My mom used to tell me, if you want to know somebody's encouragement, here's how you tell. If they're breathing. So literally everyone needs encouragement. No one is exempt. um, I read this study a few weeks ago. If you give someone four compliments and one criticism, our brains perceive that as neutral. So you have to give someone at least five compliments for every criticism. So we need to be a constant source of encouragement. Can you guys hear me? You were muted for a second. Oh, okay. That was really weird. I was like, it says host muted you. I was like, Ashton, are you trying to sabotage me right now? No, I'm so sorry. Adam, are you trying to sabotage me? <laughs> Um, just kidding. All right. Well, yeah, thank you. Um, everyone. Once again, I am super thankful to just have the ability to, um, create these conversations and open that up.
Thank you for listening to Women in Sports. This show is all about advancing the narrative for women in the sports industry. I'm one of the hosts, Aaron Sinnott. And I'm Ashton Pills. This is a Rising Coaches sponsored show that gives women in the sports industry the opportunity to tell their stories and talk about their experiences. Glad to have you listening along. Stay tuned. Women in Sports is brought to you by Rising Coaches. Rising Coaches is the biggest coaching tree in all of basketball. We have over 1,200 members of coaches who, from the high school all the way up to the professional level. Uh, and there's three things that we focus on, community, relationships, and development. There's no straight line in this business. There's only ups and downs and peaks and valleys. And when you're going through them, it is crucial that you have a support system and a community who has been through the fires themselves that you can lean on and help you through those tough times. Genuine relationships. We put the premium on genuine, uh, not just exchanging phone numbers and speaking one time a year at the Final Four, uh, but rather creating relationships that will last a lifetime and help you both personally and professionally. And finally, and most importantly, development. We are constantly providing resources to our members so that they can work on their craft and add tools to their toolbox. The premise is this. If you sign up and become a member for Rising Coaches for just $120 a year, the relationships and the network will take care of themselves organically so that you can focus on working on your craft and better serving the people that you come in contact every single day as a coach. For more information, visit risingcoaches.com and sign up for a membership today.